Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are having a, uh, a brief discussion with Steve Fetch, as we typically do during basketball season, um, just chatting about the KU basketball game that we had against New Mexico State, wrapping that up, doing a little bit of preview of the Villanova game coming up tomorrow. Um, and then, you know, obviously we, we had some, some big news just in terms of uh, Les Miles filling out his, his football coaching staff, but um, we do have quite a few things to talk about, so I won't uh, belabor this any longer. I'll go ahead and get you guys right on over to the interview with Fetch. And I'm joined now once again by Steve Fetch. Fetch, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So so obviously, as kind of has been the, the pattern now for this team, we had a unnecessarily nerve-wracking game against New Mexico State to talk about. Um, which I don't think sets anybody up for a, a very comfortable game against Villanova that, that's coming up. But um, first thing I did want to go ahead and ask you, let's let's just dive right into the New Mexico State game. Um, what was your big takeaway from that game? Um, you know, or was there a particular player that either impressed you or disappointed you in that game? You know, I think probably the the guy that impressed me most, obviously, was uh, Dieter Clausen. Um, especially late in the game, obviously had a, a really quiet first half there. But um, you know, twenty points, five rebounds. Uh, late in the second half, you know, he was the guy that they were getting the ball to, um, whether it be out on the perimeter and, and letting him drive, or you know, he he did make a three finally, um, or in the post. Um, Definitely, I think even more so going forward without, you know, Kazabuki and, and maybe especially if Quentin Grimes doesn't come along, you know, a lot of the uh, offense is going to flow through him. Uh, obviously, it was their best offense. They had kind of struggled for 
most of the nights until they kind of, I don't know if they gave up or whatever, but finally just decided, hey, let's get the ball to our best player and, and let him do whatever he wants. Um, I don't know how sustainable that will be going forward. Obviously, he had great like per-game numbers at Memphis. Um, he's not the most efficient player, but then again, when you're taking as many shots as he is, uh, that's probably a, a little bit too much to ask for him to take that many shots and be hyper-efficient. So I'm not terribly worried about that. Um, I just think that it would be nice for them to develop some more options uh, going forward. You know, real quick, when you say he's, he's not the most efficient, you're not talking about, like, his offensive rating, are you? But, like, I No, mean, I mean, just just uh, I guess I would have to, to pull it up here, but um, – I'm just curious because you know. I, I know that there's a lot of people that kind of talk about offensive rating and then efficiency kind of interchangeably. Um, oh, sure. And I'm not no, sure. I, I wasn't I sure mean, if that's what you meant or not. Cause, no, I, and you know what? I, I just pulled it up, and he actually shot over 50% on twos uh, right. at Memphis. It was his, it was his appalling uh, three-point shot that kind of brought the uh, effective field goal percentage down. But he's taking, obviously, a lot fewer threes this year, which I think is uh, a good thing and only going to help his numbers. But um, – yeah, so I, I guess I uh, he's more efficient than I gave him credit for, I guess. So maybe they should have just given the ball every time. And, and well, yeah, I mean, and he's he's gotten 114 offensive rating on 32% of the possessions. Like, he's using 32%. So, I mean, he's definitely a high-volume guy, and he's actually got a pretty good offensive rating for that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything else to say other than he needs, you know, as often as he can actually – be effective get him the ball as much as you possibly can so the the guy that really surprised me and i, I mean or I, I wouldn't say surprise the guy that i thought was most impressive outside of dietrich lawson um would once again be devon dotson like i think i think it was pretty clear that you know the one-two punch in this game was dietrich lawson and then devon dotson he he again played more of a of a robin to lawson's batman um just in fact that you know his most impressive plays weren't him going to the to the hoop and scoring it was him facilitating um and really kind of doing what he does to make sure that that offense is is going and i think the thing that's most impressive to me is that he played 39 minutes in this game you know, so he only sat on the bench for a minute of the entire game, um, was still extremely efficient, um, seemed to really know when to pick his spot to go and, and you know, burst onto offense, um, but was really good about getting other guys their shots and making sure that other guys were involved as much as needed to be. You know, he ended up with only eight points. Um, you know, he, he was 50% from two and he missed both of the threes that he took, but you know, he's got a nice well-rounded stat line elsewhere. Um, I, I'll, I'll say it again because honestly – you know, I think that Dedrick Lawson is probably going to be our most our most consistent, like high um, high output performer. But I think Devon Dotson is going to be the most important guy on this team, um, and honestly, the mo the most consistent guy because we don't expect big flashy numbers from him offensively. A lot of what he contributes, you don't necessarily see on the box score, or it's not highlighted on the box score nearly as much as as for some of these other guys. So, any other thoughts about? Dotson or or Lawson or or did you want to talk about who you thought was most disappointing in this game? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll start with a positive with Dotson. Obviously, um, you know, one thing going forward, I think he's he's kind of starting to realize already that uh, there aren't a lot of people who can stay in front of him um, on the defensive end, and he's able to use that speed and quickness to to get in the lane. And whether he's doing it to get to the rim and score or to to dish off. Uh, to Dieter Klaassen down low or to uh, someone for an open three. 
I think him him doing that more often is going to only improve the offense and make it look better. Because I, I do think, um, you know, when even when Azubuki comes out, kind of the, the spread it out and let him attack or, or let LeGerald Vick attack or let Dieter Glossen attack or something like that just to open up passing lanes and, and open up um, open spot up shooters is probably going to be their best offense going forward. So uh, Dotson learning that he can uh, basically get by anyone, um, I think is only going to be a good thing as for disappointing. Obviously I think it probably has to be Quentin Grimes. Um, he was what two of five from the field, one of two from two, one of three from three. Um, the three pointers, you know, listen, guys are going to miss shots. I'm, I'm actually fine with that. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, he's got a good stroke and I think he's going to make plenty of them. Um, the lack of being aggressive inside the arc kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, the four turnovers really bother me, uh, especially from a guy who's not terribly involved in the offense. You know, Devin Dotson can have four turnovers, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Or, or Dieter Glossen can have four turnovers, and that's not the worst thing in the world because right, they, they handle their hands often. a lot. And, right. uh, yeah, and they're they're doing things a lot more often than than Quentin Grimes is. Uh, so just the just the general passivity, and then um, I thought his defense really fell off in the second half. There, I thought he actually did some really nice things defensively, both on and off the ball. Uh, in the first half wasn't wasn't really rewarded by getting guys to miss shots but um, you know was in the right place a lot and and challenged shots pretty well but um, I don't know if he just got frustrated by uh, his shot not going in or or not playing well offensively but it seemed like his defense really fell off uh, in the second half as well yeah I mean the other contender that I had for this would be LeGerald Vick um, but looking overall at, at the whole stat line, I, I do have to agree with you that, that it would be Quentin, Quentin Grimes. Um, I mean, Vic, you know, Vic shot one of five from two, one of, uh, let's see, one of three from three, but he had six defensive rebounds, five assists. So he was, he was contributing in a, in a bunch of other ways and he had two steals. So, I mean, he, he was definitely not on his game offensively. Like I think we had come to expect him to, to potentially be for the rest of the year, but um, he, he's still contributing in other ways, even though he's not able to, to, to get his offensive shot going right now. Um, but you know, the fact that Vic played 31 minutes and only scored five points is definitely disappointing. Um, I have to, I have to think though, if he's going to get that many shots, um, he's going to get more than two of them to go in if he's, you know, shooting that many times over that, that course of time there. So, um, Quentin Grimes, yeah, definitely, I think was the most disappointing out of this game, but um, you know, I, I think if if it weren't for the fact that we weren't really expecting Charlie Moore to do much, I think, you know, the fact that he played 24 minutes and didn't really contribute too much was also a little bit disappointing. Um, but again, I mean, you know, I don't think there's a lot of expectation for, for more at this point. Um, I was surprised that KJ Lawson didn't play more. He seems to be a lot more comfortable or makes Diedrich a lot more comfortable when he's out there. Um, so I, I would have thought that they would have tried to use this game to kind of get him involved a little bit more. I didn't think that Moore um, was doing enough to really, you know, keep Lawson off the floor. Um, I, I was a little bit surprised with the way that Garrett played. He he um, got a few more points than I expected him to. He had a little bit of an offensive explosion, but not not a ton. But looking at the rest of his stats, he didn't really do too much else. You know, so he had 10 points on, let's see, four of seven shooting. But I didn't really see much defensively. There were no blocks, no steals. Um, you know, he turned the ball over one time, had a couple or three rebounds total and, and a couple assists. But, I mean, I, I would, for for the guy that's supposed to be a really good defensive specialist on this team, 
he doesn't really seem to be contributing too much defensively in terms of the stats. Now his, his, uh, you know, on the ball defense seems to be pretty good. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I just expected him to have a little bit more of a, of an impact. I do have to agree with you. I, I do think that Moore is overall the most disappointing player from this, from this game, but there wasn't really a lot of guys that were too impressive, um, which I can either take that as a good sign or as a bad sign, just given the fact that they're still undefeated at this point. So actually I, I want to go ahead and pivot it into that. You know, we've, we've talked about this multiple times that this team is undefeated, but still has no, we're not playing anywhere near their best ball. Um, are you, are you at the point now where you're frustrated with the fact that they're not playing their best ball, or are you still encouraged by the fact that they're still winning, even though they're not playing as well as they possibly can? Um, probably a little bit of both. I think the fact that Azubuki is hurt now kind of gives them a little bit more of a, a grace period, I guess, cause they have to learn to play without him uh, on the floor. Um, and I think that that's going to, you know, probably hurt things even when he when he comes back as well it's going to be another adjustment period um if you look at all of the you know advanced numbers and all the analytics and everything like that obviously the fact that they're winning by such short margins um is not great you know they're they're still second in kempom um in torvik i think they're like 10th right now or something like that um so it, it probably doesn't bode terribly well uh for the future to be honest with you they're eighth in torvik i just looked it up um, <laughs> it probably doesn't bode terribly well right now, uh, the fact that they're barely beating some of these teams. But I will say that they've got a lot of new faces uh, to bring in. They're running a lot of different offense this year uh, as opposed to last year and, and the year before. So it's a it's an adjustment for all these guys. They all have to adjust to playing with each other. I think they have tons of improvement to do. Um, I think really they're going to be one of the most improved teams in the country from the point Azubuki comes back uh, to the NCAA tournament. So I think when you're looking at it as a fan, uh, you look at it and you say, okay, they've they've got to win over Michigan State, who probably won't win the Big Ten, but probably will be right up there. They've got to win over Tennessee, who right now looks like the SEC favorites. Um, they've got wins over, you know, New Mexico State is going to challenge in the WAC. They might, they might win the WAC. Um, Wofford uh, might win the Southern Conference. Uh, you know, Louisiana might win the Sun Belt. Vermont might win the America East. So they've, they've got wins over all of these conference champions, um, and they're not really playing that well. So uh, you look at it right now, they're they're probably cruising to yet another one seed in the NCAA tournament. And so um, I think you just got to be optimistic about that and the fact that they're probably going to get to go either Tulsa or Des Moines and then Kansas City which hopefully they don't play uh, like they did on Saturday night. Uh, but that's a, a pretty darn good road to the final four, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, um, I, I guess it's, it is a, a healthy dose of both. I think the fact that, you know, at least in the first like five or six games, um, you know, you could, you could use the excuse that they haven't really played well or played much together. And so they're kind of feeling each other out. I think we're, we're past that point now though, where that's really the excuse. And obviously losing Azubuke changes a little bit of what they want to do. Um, but there was a lot of talk going into the year that they needed to find a bunch of different ways and and utilize that versatility, you know, to find um, a bunch of different lineups and kind of use their depth, to their advantage. I, I would have expected there to be a little bit more progress by this point. Um, and so I think, you know, especially since this has kind of been the easy portion of their of their schedule, um, you know, with with some of the easier teams. And, and I'm not saying that they're, you know, 
a bunch of pushovers that they should just be demolishing all of them. But to come out so well against Michigan State at the beginning of the year and then to have some fairly impressive performances, uh, you know, earlier uh, against like like Tennessee and things like that, you know, I, I just – it's definitely still frustrating that at this point – they haven't even looked close to what we all know their potential is. Um, Michigan State, that game set the bar, the bar really high because we saw what it looked like when everybody was clicking. Um, and now the fact that we haven't even gotten close to that, it's definitely encouraging that they're still winning, um, you know, and, and kind of gives you that hope that when they do get into a dogfight against a really good team in the tournament, they have that experience of fighting through the troubles that they've had. Um, but it's, it's just extremely frustrating that they still – can't seem to put it together, that Grimes still seems to be kind of stuck in whatever funk that he was in, that Vic has now calm, you know, calmed down on his shooting, um, very similar to what happened last year, except it's happened a lot earlier, where last year he was really on fire through all the non-conference and then cooled off the beginning of the conference play. This year he was really hot for like four or five games, and now he's cooled off already. Does that continue like it did last year, and he tries to make a push at the end of the year, or – you know, does he somehow get it figured out? There's just there's too much that's up in the air um, for anybody to really feel comfortable. I understand fans that are completely frustrated with this team because you just have literally no clue what you're going to get. Um, and you would think by this point in the year, you would at least have some idea of where this team's going to be. Um, you know, this is usually around the time that if, if the team isn't playing very well, um, like they are now, well, then you just think this is a team that's not going to play very well. But the fact that, you know, we know what kind of potential they have, it just, it really frustrates you. Okay, so. So, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt here. Um, I was just, I was just doing a little bit of looking around here. So, um, one thing that I, I looked up was uh, their most similar resumes. So, uh, basically, similar um, uh, efficiency profiles here. Um, and as well as, um, resume. So resumes is like your net rating, your Ken Palm, your, uh, what's called wins above bubble, which you can, I don't have the mathematical ability to explain that, but you can Google that. And so their, their most similar, um, team is 2015 Duke, which won the title, uh, 2018 Kansas, which obviously made the final four. Um, and then 2013 Kansas and 2013 or uh, 2010 Syracuse, which both made the round of 16. So they're looking pretty good in that standpoint. However, uh, you go take a look at their efficiency profiles, uh, and it it looks a lot worse. Um, there's uh, a lot of teams that there's there's no number one seeds uh, on that team or on that uh, list. The best team uh, seed wise is 2014 Kansas. Uh, which was uh, a number two seed. That was the the Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid right. team that lost to Stanford. Uh, you've also got 2016 Oklahoma with, with Buddy Heald, who got murdered by Villanova in the Final Four. Uh, and then 2009 Duke, which was a two seed and made it to the Sweet 16. But there's um, there's only one Final Four team. There's one Elite Eight team. Um, and then a bunch of round of 34 and round of 32 teams. So they need to get... Uh, a little bit better here um, in order to really be a, a title contender, I would think, just looking at the numbers. But then again, you look at them in, in these close games here, and, and you look at Bill Salt's record in close games, and it's I guess it's just hard to envision them, uh, I don't want to say not making the Final Four, because that's a, a pretty hard 
bar to reach, but it's just tough to envision them not being uh, a major, major championship contender uh, in March. Yeah, there, there's just too much luck involved to say that you expect them to make the Final Four. But I do expect that come tournament time, they are going to be one of the, the four best teams going into the tournament. Um, obviously, you know, some bad luck during the tournament can, can cause problems with them and not, not making the Final Four. But, you know, I do think it's fair to say that barring the fact that people just not figuring it out or another bad injury that, you know, gets a guy off for a really long time, like I'm I'm expecting them to be one of the one of the top four teams, um, at least having one of the four best resumes and best outlooks going into the tournament. Um, they just have way too much talent for them to not be one of those better teams. So, all right. So any other final thoughts about the, the New Mexico State game? Uh, nope. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the obviously the big matchup coming up, the uh, the quote unquote revenge game. Uh, Kansas is hosting Villanova uh, this Saturday at the Fieldhouse. Um, you know, it looked like this was going to be a higher ranked Villanova team, and then they went out and lost to Penn um, earlier this week, um, which actually I guess doesn't actually change the the rankings because it happened after the the new rankings came out. But um, in, in terms of looking at them at, at Ken Palm, you know, they're, they're now down to number 20 at Ken Palm. Um, they, prior to that game, let's see, I believe they were ranked up in the, in the teens, uh, like the, the, the low teens there. I'm trying to actually pull it up right now. Uh, yeah. So they were number 16 before that loss to Penn dropped them down to 20. So, um, but okay. So, I mean, I guess I, I want your, your thoughts on this game? Is there anything in terms of their their profile that really worries you, um, other than the fact you know that they completely torched us last time in the in the final four? Yeah, well, that final four game obviously was, uh, I think, something that is pretty memorable and in, in the back of every um, KU fan's mind. I was actually going to do something this week if I had the time. Uh, turns out that I didn't, but just kind of looking at uh, all the matchups because obviously they've had some. Pretty big matchups over the years. You know, the Villanova won the 2016 Elite Eight game in a, a much different uh, contest that was very defensive where neither team scored a point per possession. Of course, in the Final Four last year, uh, both teams scored more than a point per possession. Uh, and then there was obviously that close game uh, in the battle for Atlantis in the fall of 2013 again the Andrew Wiggins uh Joel Embiid game where our team where I believe it was uh Archie Diacono made a big three late in the game to to give them the win so it's it's been a while since Kansas has beaten Villanova I think it's been since the 2008 uh Sweet 16 but I would have to I would have to double check that I, I could be wrong but um in any event uh this year's team obviously doesn't have the talent of last year's team, Jalen Brunson, gone. Michael Bridges, gone. Dante DiVincenzo, gone. So that that's probably their, maybe not their three best players, but three of their four or five best players off last year's team. This year's team, a uh, little bit of a, a different look. Um, defensively, I don't think they have anyone who can really handle Dedrick Lawson, whether it be out on the perimeter or in the post. So it's going to be a, a game where Kansas definitely tries to establish inside. Uh, offensively, the, the big thing that uh, is worrisome uh, about them, obviously, is, is all of the threes that they oh, take. Gosh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 52% of their shots uh, are from three, which is second in the country, which is uh, insane. I did uh, find one thing. They played two games against top 50 teams uh, in the Torvik rankings. Um, I'm using him instead of Ken Palm right now just because you can kind of break down their games by 
top 50, top 100, and stuff like that a, a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're only taking a third of their shots from three uh, against top 50 teams. Of course, that's only two games, so it's not like it's um, – Right. Well, you know, and, and honestly, against Michigan, they just got completely destroyed. Michigan's yeah. defense was so good that they just didn't really have an open shot. I actually watched a little bit of that game. Um, Michigan completely shut them down from the three-point line. Like, didn't really give them an opportunity to do yeah. too much. I believe they yeah, still and- took some shots, but eventually they got to the point where it was just, they were just beaten into submission, so they didn't really – worry too much about it from that point yeah forward, and, so. and florida state did uh as well they were 3 of 15 against michigan 3 of 14 against florida state uh they did they did it a little bit different ways you know florida state has a, a ton of athletes ton of length so they can kind of just uh rely on closing out and and getting hands up and and stuff like that and kind of deterring shots that way um michigan obviously doesn't quite have the athletes but uh, they're, you know, they're a really impressive defense. And as we go forward, I'm, I'm planning on doing something, taking a look at their defense. Cause they do a lot of things that I think Kansas could stand to, to borrow from. Uh, but as for Villanova, you know, like I said, I mean, they, they take a ton of threes. That's kind of the, the big thing. Uh, Joe Cremo, their senior guard. I think that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, he picks Villanova over Kansas uh, as a grad transfer. Uh, he's not getting a, a ton of playing time, right around 20 minutes a game, but he is shooting 44% from three. So, you know, that's a guy who's probably going to want to have a good game uh, coming to, to Allen Fieldhouse uh, where he could have and probably should have uh, been playing. I think he'd be a, a really useful player on this team. Um, yeah, and you know, it's 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 kind of funny if uh, if Cremo had come to KU, I don't think Lagerald Vick would have been back. No, um, he would yeah, he would be taking Lagerald Vick's minutes, and so it would have been it would have been really interesting to see. You know, of, of course, the fact that he can shoot like that, you know, he's not getting very many minutes, like you said. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised for him to just come and and play a ton and light it up completely. Like, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see him go like eight of ten from the three-point range um, <laughs> against Kansas. One, because, you know, he's that stereotypical, um, you know, guy that comes and just goes off against KU. Right. Um, and the fact that KU gives up so many threes, so many good open looks, like it seems perfect for him to be able to come in and just go off completely against us. Um, that's I think that's my biggest concern is the fact, you know, the, the fact that he was being recruited by both KU and Villanova, um, while he doesn't have any personal history with, with Kansas, like that kind of, you know, jumps to mind a little bit um, anyway. So, you know, I just, I just, I think that there's enough, enough there for him to go off and make us all, you know, curse at our TVs a little bit. But uh, ultimately I think what this game really comes down to though, is the fact that Villanova's defense is not very good at all. Um, You know, they're, they're, they're ranked uh, 61 in Ken Palm, which is decent, but is nowhere near, you know, what the, the top teams are. And really that's kind of been their downfall is the games that they've lost. It's, they haven't really been able to stop anybody. Um, you know, Michigan completely blew them away. Um, you know, and, and their inability to really play defense there caused them a lot of problems. The same with Furman, like Furman came out in, in overtime and just completely dominated them. Um, and then the game against Penn, like that was the big issue was that, um, you know, their defense couldn't really do much against Penn. Penn got to do pretty much whatever they wanted um, during that game. And so it was hard for them to really kind of assert their dominance and, and really get back into that game. Um, they were able to keep it pretty close most of the time, but the defense really didn't help them in trying to make that comeback there. So, um, you know, I think that's ultimately where I'm most confident is the fact that, yeah, Villanova could go, you know, 
ballistic from three, but they don't really have what they would need in order to stop Kansas from going just as, you know, being just as hot either from three or just dumping it into Lawson, like you were saying. So, yeah, I'm not uh, as confident in that. I mean, you're kind of uh, describing last year's team a little bit as well. You know, they didn't have a, a really good defensive team. Uh, you know, it was good, better than this year's team, but not uh, not the elite defense that you would kind of expect uh, a national champion to have. Um, but yet they, you know, their offense was just so good that it didn't matter. And this year's offense certainly has some talent, but doesn't have the the either the individual talent that last year's team had and, and just – uh, for whatever reason, is not working well together at this point. Yeah, but um, but when you say they didn't have a good defense last year, they were ranked number eleven. Um, I mean, so they were they still had an elite uh, like elite level defense. This year they're at sixty one. So I mean, that's a huge difference between the two. Um, you know, and their offense isn't as good this year compared to last year. Last year, you know, they had a, a one twenty seven point eight rating. That's the um, I, I always forget exactly what he's trying to, to measure with that. I think it's the efficiency there. Um, so he had, you know, they have the the 127.8 rating is what they had, what they ended the year with last year. This year, that's down to a 116. Um, you know, the defense was at was essentially well, it was about three points a game, or it was 97.2 this year. Last year was at 94. Um, so I mean, that's the difference. You know, 50 different spots in the rankings there. Um, so it wasn't a huge difference on defense, but I think it was it was enough um, to take them from like an elite or, or at least a, a top tier level defense to now they're more of a, a middle of the pack sort of defense, especially when you're talking about tournament teams. So I think there's definitely a noticeable step down on their defense this year. Um, now, granted, if they're hitting a three every single time down the floor, it's not really going to matter how bad of a defense they have because I don't think Kansas can be that hot from three um, unless Vic goes insane again so you know that would be an interesting an interesting game to have LeGerald Vic and Cremo both going off from three just both of them shooting insane I, I think that would be a very entertaining game to watch I, I would definitely be pulling my hair out the entire time but um, I think that's like our best our best uh, chance to have like a super entertaining back and forth um, you know heavyweight like knockout drag out fight sort of game um, but yeah, so I mean, are you, I, I, I guess I, I take it that you're not as optimistic about their, their defense not being ranked very high as, as I am in this case. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just think that the, the fact that they shoot as many threes, uh, as they do is always going to be a problem just because Bill Self has some issues, uh, defending teams like that. Um, and then, yeah, you know, it, it just it, the defense might not be great, uh, but you're going to be fighting math the whole time. So um, I, I do think one thing that is a little bit different about this year's matchup than last year's matchup is uh, you're going to have Dietrich Lawson chasing guys around on the perimeter, which he can certainly do when he's engaged versus Yudok Azabuki, who can do it for, you know, some possessions, uh, but not possession after possession. So. Uh, Villanova is not going to be able to to play Diedrich Lawson off the floor like they were able to uh, with Azubuki. So that that's kind of I think the the big difference um, in this matchup this year as opposed to last year. Yeah. So real quick, you made a comment about how Bill Self seems to have some issues um, guarding the three essentially, and I think that's actually pretty unique to this year and maybe a little bit last year. Like last year, they were at, they their opponents shot thirty nine point one percent of their shots from three. Which was the highest? Well, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off here. Go ahead. Um, 
so there's there's a lot of stuff that's been done where um, percent three point percentage uh, doesn't really have a ton to do with the defense. Now there's uh, a couple of notable uh, exceptions, one being the Syracuse zone, which seems to have a little bit of a um, impact. And then a lot of people think for whatever reason, John Calipari's defenses uh, have a little bit of an impact. But for the most part, uh, what you want to look at um, is the percentage of shots from three given up. Uh, and for the last couple of years, Kansas has not done a, a very good job of. Um, no, right. That's what I'm talking about. The the three point attempts per field goal or sure, ratio sure, of three point sure. attempts. Okay. All yeah. Right. So last year was the highest it's ever been at 39.1. Um, that was about a, a percentage and a half above the the national average, which was 37.5. Um, this year, you know, that, that average keeps going up. Like teams are taking more threes just in general across the nation. Um, this year it jumps all the way up to 46.2. This is the first year where it's really been a gigantic disparity between the average and what they're shooting against Bill Self. Um, prior, prior to last year. And then of course this year, the biggest disparity that we had was actually, let me just double check real quick. I'm running back through them. Um, but yeah. The biggest disparity was the the 2008 title team um, when they, you know, they were a full 4% um, higher in terms of other teams shooting threes, 4% more of the time than the national average. So outside of 2008, most Bill Self teams have been had average, you know, amount of or the average ratio of three point shots compared to all of their, their, their shots. It just seems like this year. Um, for some reason, they cannot get out on open shooters, which is which is allowing those open shooters to take a ton of, of threes. And so I don't I don't know that it's Bill Self system or anything about Bill Self in general. I just think for whatever reason, this team cannot figure out how to get out on a three point shooter. Um, I'm hoping that Self can find some way to get it through their skulls that they need to get out on those three point shooters. Um, but I'm not really sure, you know, what it is. Is it Bill Self isn't teaching it the right way? for some reason this year, or is it these guys just for some reason don't want to stay on their man and, and prevent that, that three point shot. Yeah. Last, last year's team was not great either. So I guess that, that leads to the question of, you know, is it LeGerald Vick and Marcus Garrett not being very good off the ball defenders? Um, is it, you know, having Azubuki playing so much leads to open threes because he's not good at hedging and, and getting back. I mean, it's, it's probably one of those two things, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out when we, you know, see how many threes they take. Well, as a out versus when he comes back, I guess, I, I don't know, but it's something they got to get taken care of. I, I mean, I think part of that is that we're a little bit spoiled because the, the prior four years, you know, we actually, um, teams didn't take nearly as many three-point shots compared to compared to the national average. Like um, back in 2014, you know they shot 31.5 percent of their shots were three-pointers against KU. The and the national average was 32.9 percent. 2015, we had them shoot 32 percent. That the average was 34.2 percent. So like for the last four years prior to this this year and the year before, you know we actually had people shooting less three-pointers compared to national nationally i think uh, honestly i'm not i'm not 100 certain what exactly that was but i i think um the fact that kansas had to go to that four guard lineup um ideally or normally you would think that would uh, you know having the more the the quicker guard type defenders 
would allow them to close out on three-point shooters a lot more often. But it seems like for whatever reason, just that philosophy, I, I honestly, I think it has to do a lot with like the way that the switching was working and all of that. Um, it opened up more opportunities for guys to feel comfortable to take more shots. Um, and, and honestly, that may be what the biggest thing is like l- last year, because I know we talked a lot of times about speed getting lost on screens. Like there was all kinds of problems with the, the switches and, and all of that that they had last year. So, you know, I'm not surprised. It seems like that sort of stuff is carrying over a little bit. But I, I mean, I haven't noticed a lot of issues of guys getting caught up in screens um, or guys having problems with switching. It j- literally just seems to be there's way too many guys crashing in the paint to help and not getting back out on their shooters. And, and that's a leaving a lot of open looks. It's, it's a, I think it's a different problem schematically this year than it was last year. And that's what's so puzzling is that this sort of problem isn't one that Bill Self had had very often. So I, I have to think it's something about the guys that are here as opposed to the way Bill Self teaches it. But maybe it's just the fact that, you know, they haven't accepted the way he normally teaches it. And maybe he has to change that up. If we, if we keep seeing that throughout the year, if we get, you know, a month into conference play and we're still having this problem, then I think you can say at this point that Bill Self has done something wrong in, try, in terms of trying to teach them to shore up that defensive deficiency that they have. But as it stands right now, like, I, I just don't think that there's enough of a trend here to say that it's something that Bill Self isn't doing. All right. So we asked um, we asked for some questions before we started tonight's podcast. And not surprisingly, actually, um, all the questions or at least the ones that we're going to bother talking about were football related. So before we jump over to those questions, did you have anything else with the basketball team that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I think uh, I, I suppose the Chiefs are going to start here soon, so we probably don't have time for one question or so. Oh, that's but... all right. I can miss the first little bit if I need to. So okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, so, so the first one it's from Matt Zemek, I believe is, is, is how you say his name. Um, you know, he says, "Is Les Miles going to be a hands-on or a CEO coach? And how much do people um, in or near the program think that detail matters for his tenure?" So, so first of all, what do you see his overall? coaching style being just based off of what you've heard from him or what you might have you know seen him do in the past well it it does seem like he's probably going to be um a little bit more of the hands-off type guy i would think just just because of his age and um just kind of what i've read about him but um i do think there is that you know little something that every football coach has where they want to be in in control of everything um but i you know who knows um I, i guess i'd be um, I wouldn't be surprised either way uh, with with which way he goes, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I really <laughs> – it, it, neither would surprise me. I, I do think he's probably going to be a little bit more hands-off, though it sounds like, you know, Chip Lindsey, the new offensive coordinator, uh, was meddled with a little bit when he was at Auburn, um, and that's part of why he left Gus Malzahn's sinking ship. Uh, so I, I right. doubt he would have come here just to have another coach – you know, metal in, in uh, his game plans and everything like that. So uh, probably leaning a, a little bit more towards the hands-off uh, CEO-type approach. Yeah, I mean, and, and based off of everything that I heard about his time at LSU, it seemed like that ended up being his downfall is that he he tried to hold a little bit too much to his own philosophies on how his offense should be run, and people kind of got fed up with it. Um, you know, he, he definitely comes across as a very smart guy that knows what he's talking about. Um, and while I'm sure any coach in his system is going to take his input, ultimately everything that he said, everything that, that you know, I've seen in his coaching style down at LSU seems to be that 
he he takes the leadership style of a good leader is someone who finds the best guys for a position, does everything he can to support them, but let them do what they do best. And so in that case, it, I mean, he, he definitely seems to be more of that CEO style coach where he's bringing in guys that can do really good at the position he has them in there. And then he lets them do it and just gives them a little bit of nudge here or there to kind of get them back in the direction if he sees something going. Um, and, and honestly, I do think that that's the kind of coach, like, I do think it does matter because based off of what we've had with David Beatty, um, you know, and coaches prior to that, like that was the big problems we had with a lot of our prior coaches is that those individual coaches tried to do too much. They either took on too much and couldn't do it properly, or they got too far into the details that it prevented other coaches from doing their jobs to the best of their, of their ability. Um, you know, David Beatty notoriously, <laughs> Um, had all kinds of problems with, with Meacham. Um, you know, the first two years he was meddling in, in all of the offenses. You know, we, we had guys that ended up leaving because they weren't, you know, Likens um, ended up leaving. Like everything I've heard is he left not because he was doing a poor job, but because he wasn't feeling like he got to do his job. So he actually left voluntarily. Like he wasn't, he wasn't forced out. They didn't say he wasn't doing a good enough job. He basically got fed up with it and decided to leave. Um, the same sort of thing ended up happening with Meacham, other than the fact that, you know, they, they fired Meacham as a scapegoat. But really, nothing changed. David Beatty was, you know, had his hand in everything that was happening there. And so I think coming off of a, of a guy like that, you know, um, it seemed like Jeff Long was looking for a guy that had the same sort of management style as him, as, you know, find the right guys that know what they're doing, get them in there and then let them do their thing. You know, obviously you, you, you fix little, little things here and there as you, as you think actually needs, you know, to happen. Like if there's, if there's a big issue that you can jump in there and kind of nudge them to this needs to be addressed. Obviously you do that, but it's, it's less miles program. And, you know, he needs to be given the free reign to do whatever he needs to do with it. So in the same way, it's now going to be Chip Lindsay's offense, he needs to have the freedom to do what he thinks is best with the guys that he has. Um, and so unless it's just completely against the values that Les Miles holds or something like that, I don't see him meddling at all, um, you know, too much there. So I, I definitely do think he's going to be more the CEO, the CEO style coach. And I do think it will be important. Um, you know, if, if he gets too hands on, I, I don't think he's going to have as long of a leash as a lot of people think he will. If he tries to micromanage a little too much, just because we've seen what happens here um, Jeff Long has, you know, seen that firsthand with what Beatty did. Um, and I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's going to be a problem. Um, but ultimately, I think that's how less is is successful is by bringing in good people and letting them do what they do best. All right. Other the other question um, came from Mark Anderson at George Jayhawk. Uh, he says, how long before realistically KU can become competitive in football in the Big 12? Well, I, I suppose it depends on, you know, what your definition of competitive is. Um, right. If talking, you know, are they gonna, um, are they gonna win a bowl game? Um, that probably won't happen in, in year one or year two. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe they get lucky and, and they do in year three. Um, that would kind of be the hope, I would think, is to to be in a bowl game. Um, by the third year um, as far as competitive meaning you know can they win the games on their schedule that they should um, honestly I mean I, I think they can maybe do that right away you know it's been uh, 
they've had you know the talent over the course of the last um you know what 10 seasons uh <laughs> you know ever since uh even turner gill uh came they've had the talent to um you know beat teams uh compete uh they just haven't done it um so you know better coaching is going to help that i don't think they're going to give away games uh starting now that they gave away uh certainly well, the seasons under david Beatty and, and under charlie weiss and, and turner gill as well um so that type of competitive, I think, right away um, in terms of, um, you know, I'm, I'm targeting a bowl win uh, in year three, but I'm planning ahead to the uh, Camping World Bowl next year uh, if it happens. <laughs> yeah, I'd definitely be available for that if, if possible. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. I think if, if you define competitive as, you know, going six and six or – um, you know, even five and seven. I don't. I don't think it's realistic to think even in the first two years. Um, I do think, though, if by competitive you mean that they win the games that they should win, and they don't get completely blown out in all of their other ones. You know, maybe a game where Oklahoma just completely beats the pants off you. It's you know, that's. I mean, that, that happens sometimes. Um, but you know, you should be able to at least be competitive in those games. Keep it close. Maybe you do lose by three touchdowns, but it's like a one-touchdown game midway through the fourth quarter or something like that. Um, that should become the expectation as early as next year. Um, you know, this team is talented enough, has enough talent coming back, assuming that, that Puka Williams comes back, um, you know, based off of all the issues that he's had. Um, you know, they're, they're talented enough to be competitive, and they've shown even this year they were talented enough to be competitive in these games. So, you know, if, if that's what your what your criteria is, is that they're competitive, that they don't get completely destroyed in any of their games um, throughout the, you know, from, from start to finish, then then I think it's not unreasonable to expect that to happen really, really soon. Um, if we are talking about going to bowl games or, you know, finishing close to 500 in the conference, that's more of, I, I think, a year three, year four type of thing. Um, you know, I, I guess... One final question that I do want to ask you. I don't think we really talked too much about it in the last in the last one. I don't remember if the uh, the news had broke by the time we actually recorded the last podcast. But obviously, there was the news that Puka Williams got arrested on suspicion of domestic violence. Um, how worried are you about about that? Is that I mean, <laughs> you know, we've we've seen all kinds of things happen here surrounding that, whether it's you know the the Carlton Bragg situation, where it turns out that he actually didn't didn't do anything, um, and ended up getting arrested just because of the way that the police force has to handle that. Um, I don't I don't think that we're going to be fortunate enough to that that's what happened again this time. But like, you know, do you think that there's an opportunity or a, a possibility that he comes back, or are you uh, essentially operating under the assumption that he's probably gone if if these allegations are true? Um, I, I just don't think, you know, that we know enough to know what's going to happen. I think that they um, did the right thing by suspending him from the team for now. Right. Um, I think if it turns out that he did, you know, really anything, you probably got to kick him off the team. Um, if it turns out it was it was nothing, then, you know, you, you let him back on and, and maybe punish him a little bit for just putting himself in that situation uh, in the first place. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I have no idea what happened. Like I said, if, if he did anything, you probably need to kick him off the team because there's no, you know, place for that. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I could team. be – 
you know, if it if it was the fact that there was something going back and forth and maybe it was something like where they got into a heated argument and they both got a little physical with each other and then, you know, the police had to do something, I could see him getting suspended for a little while and being able to stay with the team. But if it's a situation where, you know, they weren't both going at each other and he just decided to hit her for whatever reason, like there's been enough of bad publicity surrounding that stuff and enough questions about that and the, the awareness of that is a lot higher. So, yeah, a lot of it depends on what the details are. You know, and, and kind of how it happened. Um, one one thing I, I do want to add is it sounds like they uh, took him down to the station for an interview and he willingly gave a statement. Uh, I said this on Twitter. I said this in the comments. Yeah. Uh, do not – this is a, a general PSA for all of our listeners. Do not talk to the police for any reason whatsoever without an attorney ever, no matter what. Right. All right, so uh, one final thing. Um, I'm actually going to take away your random sports minute because I have one that I want to go ahead and talk about. And I'm sure you actually kind of want to talk about this a little bit as well. Um, it's been all over Twitter. We've we've both from the Rock Talk podcast account and the Rock Talk talk account have retweeted about this. The, the Kansas hockey team, the Jayhawk hockey team, is ranked number one right now in Division III. Um, you know, they are... They are one of the best teams going into the end of the year. Um, you know, first of all, kind of just talking about that. Are you are you surprised by that? I know that we talked with them last year, and it seemed like things were trending in a really positive direction. I don't think anybody really expected something like this, but it's great to see. Um, you know, they put out a call to try to get some help with funding. So anyone that's listening, I definitely recommend that you guys find that information. If you have the ability to contribute to their GoFundMe, it really would be really helpful to these guys to allow them to not have to worry so much about the finances. Um, they pay for everything out of pocket uh, at, at the beginning of the year. And these sorts of trips, while it's great for the university, it's great for the team. You know, it adds a lot to the expenses of what they have to worry about if they don't get that outside funding. So real quick, before we talk about the actual team, like, you know, if you have the opportunity, if you have the means to contribute to them, definitely show your your, your support for them, for, for the, them as Jayhawks by contributing and allowing them the opportunity to get to nationals a little bit easier. Um, but now that I've kind of done the whole fundraising plug for them, um, you know, I mean, have you been able to follow the team too much? Are you surprised at all by this or? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I could give any kind of uh, analysis on, on club hockey. So I'm just going to echo yeah, what you point. said and, and, you know, let's uh, get the spirit of the holidays going and, and let's donate to that GoFundMe so that they can go, um, you know, play at the national tournament and, and, you know, spread the uh, Jayhawk hockey brand uh, far and wide. Yeah, and and in case you guys are wanting to get a little bit more information, the website is just www.jayhawkhockey.com. Um, you know, like I said, we, we've had them on the podcast previously. We actually are trying to get them on the podcast during their their winter break here. Um, so hopefully some sometime in the next week or two, we'll actually get to talk with them and and get a little bit more information about this. They are they are sixteen zero and one. Um, on the year so you know they 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 lost one game in overtime which is where the one comes from um you know so they've they've been absolutely phenomenal this year i don't again i don't think anybody was really expecting this but there was definitely the seeds planted last year of them having a big leap forward this year um they are ranked number one in the pacific division um and so they they actually are getting ready to to go to the national i believe that the national tournament i think is at the end of january but um we'll definitely get more information about that put it out on our website we'll have 
we're, we're going to try to do something about it over on Rock Chalk Talk as well, I'm assuming. So, um, but, you know, again, if you guys have any capability to help them out this year, this is the perfect time to go ahead and do it. Even if it's, you know, going over, they have a, a, a store full of, you know, KU gear. I think I believe they have um, hockey jerseys coming in that you can purchase. Uh, to show your support that way, anything you can do to help them out, you know, and I, I'm, I know that they have a lot of cool swag that you can get as well. So um, fetch any, any other final thoughts you want to leave us with tonight? Uh, no, I think, I think we, I'm not a Chiefs fan, but go Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I just saw while we were talking about uh, the football team, Patrick Mahomes rolled out and it looked like he was about to go out of bounds and then fired a dart into the end zone for that first touchdown. So um, already looks to be a good, a good uh, good thing here, and I'm assuming that you are looking for a, a team that you could actually root for after your Vikings just completely stunk it up the last few weeks, right? Well, you know, I, <laughs> I think that they are probably going to flame out in the first round of the playoffs, so I can yell at them for Assuming that they actually weeks. even make it, right? I mean, because honestly, the way that they've been having problems, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up not limping into the playoffs and actually falling out at the very Well, the, the good so. news is they just fired their offensive coordinator, who is terrible. <laughs> uh, so I, I think they're going to make it just because their defense is so good that uh, when their offense does anything, they win. So uh, I think they'll make it, but I don't really have a lot of high hopes from there. Yeah, very, very true. All right. Well, Fetch, thanks, thanks again for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you guys for, for tuning in. Um, just a quick recap. Obviously, we, we talked a little bit about the New Mexico State game. Um, since then, the women, women's basketball uh, defeated Grambling State at home, 76 to 45. Um, there wasn't any other action going on this week just because it was finals. Uh, so, so the next action, obviously, is the Villanova game. Uh, and then coming up next week, uh, we have the actually the, the women aren't in action again until after the men play South Dakota on um, on Tuesday. So so we have uh, the men hosting South Dakota 7 p.m. on Tuesday, December 18th. And then the women will actually travel. Looks like travel to Washington State. Yeah, uh, no, it's a it's a tournament out in uh, looks like out in Las Vegas, Nevada, playing against Washington State at 430 on Wednesday, December 19th. Um, so make sure you guys catch those games. And then, and then they, they play the second game of that tournament uh, the next day on the 20th against either Northwestern or, or Wichita state. So a decent amount of action there coming on, um, you know, again, you know, the, this is the, the podcast of the number ones um, where we have the number one ranked basketball team, uh, the number one ranked hockey team, um, as we mentioned when talking with Fetch, you know, if you if you haven't had an opportunity to find a way to support the, the hockey team yet, definitely do whatever you can, whether it's, you know, finding a way to volunteer to, to help out with any needs they have there or financially is probably the, the biggest way that you can contribute to them right now um, to allow them to be able to get the funding that they need to go to nationals without these these athletes, these, these students having to pay more money out of pocket. So, um, again, um, reiterate their their information. It's a. Uh, www.jayhawkhockey.com. Um, you also can find them on Twitter. Uh, you know, they, they they actually have a pretty big presence over there on Twitter. I see them tweeting stuff out all the time, and they have no problem reaching out to everybody. So um, on on Twitter, they are also at Jayhawk Hockey. Uh, so definitely find them, connect with them, follow them, so you can get more updates about what's what's going on there. But. Um, once again, thank you guys for listening. 
please, you know, give us your feedback. You can find us uh, online on, on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. Email address is rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Great. Subscribe. Give us a good review. Five stars. All that fun stuff. Um, that really does help to get the podcast out there so we can get in touch with more people. We, we were able to read a few Twitter questions today. Um, we, we'd like to have more of those, so please send us questions either on Twitter or, you know, by email. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also over there at Rock Chalk Talk. I'm over there interacting with people all the time. If you want to drop anything in the comments over there, we're, we're definitely more than willing to talk about stuff on the podcast there, too. So, um, once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.